Does R plus L? Okay. I okay. have to wait for these last two books. Don't be too impatient. It's only been 12 years since the last one. <laughs> awesome. But yes, we're actually here. I swear here. I am working on it when I'm not doing podcasts and interviews. Yes, well, I'm that. sorry for distracting you there. Yeah. <laughs> Today it's my fault. Hello, my beautiful watchers, and welcome back to Reginald's podcast. Now, you're not going to believe this. That complete git didn't turn up again, but I have actually got a guy called George to fill in, which is kind of wild. Hi. And my name is not Reginald, but I do have two R's. Two, you do have two R's, yes. He only has one R. <laughs> I've gone for a lot of iterations on my channel whenever I've talked about it. You've been R to the R, Martin, and George, R and R, Grum. It's, it's good Well, uh, good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we are here actually in your bookstore, uh, Beastly Books in Beastly Santa Books. Fe. It Santa is Fe, New Mexico, yep. insanely cool in here. I have some footage I'll mix in to show you guys what it looks like. But yeah, this is one of the coolest bookstores I've ever been in. But yeah, so welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So I have a couple of uh, icebreaker questions that I ask all my guests. It's the same questions for everyone. So uh, yeah, so uh, what really caused the doom of Valyria? <laughs> Volcanoes. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. And the, the Red Door, what's what's going on with that? That's, oh, that's well, a very common question. I, I, I haven't anyone. revealed that yet. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> Does R plus L? Okay. I, okay. I have to wait for these last two books. Don't be too impatient. It's only been 12 years since the last one. <laughs> awesome. But yes, we're actually here. I swear here. I am working on it when I'm not doing podcasts and interviews. And yes, well, like I'm that. sorry for distracting you there. Yeah. <laughs> Today, it's my fault. It is, yes. Definitely. Awesome. So yeah, but we're here to talk about one of your favorite books today. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about The Nine Princes in Amber by Roger Zel Zelaney. Zelazny. Zelazny. God, I asked you three times before we started this and I still got it wrong. Okay. Although it's interesting that you get that wrong because uh, Roger, uh, Roger broke into uh, the science fiction field um, in the uh, early 60s, I think. I don't know the exact date. At the same time as another writer named uh, Samuel R. Delaney. And um, they were not people who went to a lot of conventions. They were bylines to most of the science fiction fans, and people kept getting them confused. Uh, you know, what did Zelazny write? What did Delaney write? And they would get the two names mixed up. Huh. And uh, and Roger um, um, Chip, uh, Samuel Delaney was known as Chip. And Roger and Chip met at one point, and they'd had so much confusion that they exchanged a mutual right to sign each other's books. So Roger was officially authorized to autograph Chip Delaney's books, and Chip is officially authorized to uh, autograph Roger's books. Wow. <laughs> Do you have that deal going on with anyone? Uh, of course, no, I don't, I don't have that going on with anyone. Good more unique thing. Usually, it, uh, you don't you don't autograph another author's books. It's uh, traditionally, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you get that request once in a while where someone is meeting you. You're you're out for a beer or something, and someone comes up and they say, "Oh, I, I'd love to get your autograph, but I don't have anything except this book by some other person. Would you sign it?" And I, I guess I do most of the time. I like to be nice to the fans. Yeah, that's <laughs> sweet. Cool. So, uh, so what does what does this book mean to you? So, what what made you choose Nine Princes in Amber? Well, actually, it was a very difficult choice when you asked me to um, to pick a book, um, because I like a lot of books uh, and uh, a lot of authors. Uh, Roger uh, was certainly one of them. I mean, Roger was a great, great writer, and he we lost him way too soon. He died in 1995. When he passed, he was younger than I am now, so that was uh, a tragic. I wish he'd. Uh, 
gone on another 20, 30 years, and who knows how many more great novels we'd have. Herbert wrote a number of books, but the only thing anybody remembers is Dune. Dune was clearly his magnum opus, his masterpiece. Uh, he wrote Dune, several Dune books, and then he wrote some other books that nobody really remembers. If you're going to do Frank Herbert, you're going to do Dune. Writers like Jack Vance and Roger Lesney are more difficult because they wrote a lot of great books, and it's hard to pick just one. You know, um, when I was thinking about your request to pick a book, I did think of Roger at once, of course, and uh, I think probably his masterpiece is Lord of Light, which is a standalone book. Mm -hmm. Um, but Amber is part of a series. I didn't know if you would be up to reading nine or ten books before we did our thing. I tried. I mean, I had about 24 hours to, to read it. So I, uh, I got through the first one, started the second one, because I was like, this is actually really, really good. I'm going to keep this going. Yes. Yeah. Well, there, there are, I believe, ten Amber books, and they're really two series. The first five of them are uh, the Corwin series. Mm -hmm. Corwin of Amber is the, uh, the lead character. And then he did a, a second series a few years later of uh, four books. Uh, those are the Merlin books, oh. uh, in which uh, another character takes over and is now the center of the story. And then he also wrote a number of Amber short stories um, that were published in various magazines over the years, and those were collected in, a, in an Amber book too. So there are ten, ten, I believe, Amber books. but. I think the most important ones are the first five, the Corwin mm -hmm. series, yeah. starting with Nine Princes and Ember. Yeah, that was yeah. I was it was interesting because uh, I, I mean I, I was kind of going in there expecting it to be quite dark because you'd, you'd picked it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was it was interesting. I uh, I was a bit nervous when it first started because like oh this is an amnesia plot, and th <laughs> right. those can be a bit sort of like hit and miss. But like I got to say to Corwin's credit, credit he. He managed to blag his, without, with no memory of what he was doing, really. He blagged his way through one of like, the greatest conspiracies of any multiple universes. So he managed to sort of, you know, work his way basically to almost reclaiming the throne without really knowing what he was fully doing, which props to the guy. Or yeah. who he really is at yeah. first. You know, there's the wonderful scene where he finds the, the tarot deck mm -hmm. and starts going through. And, and, you know, every time he sees one of his brothers, he, a name comes to him and a faint feelings yeah. and memories and... Then he has to do it. Well, if you continue to read the series, the other the other four books in the Corwin series, there are many twists and turns. That, you know, all these characters are not necessarily what they appear. Mm. So uh, you'll you'll get into that. Yeah. These are relatively short books. Uh, Roger wrote them in the uh, let me see uh, the seventies, I think the seventies or maybe early eighties. I'd have to take a look at that, but. At that time, uh, there weren't many publishers who were doing uh, science fiction hardcovers. Uh, science fiction was sort of looked at at the time as a paperback genre. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't real literature, you know, it didn't deserve hardcovers. But the, one of the few uh, people who was doing hardcovers at the time was, I think, Doubleday. And uh, they had this uh, library sale, you know, th that they cultivated over the years that public libraries in the United States bought Doubleday science fiction. They always had one or two. and But they had to be a certain length. So Roger, the length that those Amber books are is, it, it would be a quarter of one of my yeah. magnificent, whatever you call them. Doubles? <laughs> um, so in a sense, if you could look at the five Amber books as, as really one long novel, mm -hmm. um, 
but they were published separately to fit the exact length that Doubleday wanted its oh, uh, books to be in. Right. So <laughs> yes. So it was. It was for publishing reasons that he made them so short. That's interesting because it it does end on a very hard to be continued. Right, right. This particular series, right. But all of his books, he, he wrote books that were not part of Amber either, uh, like Lord of Light, which uh, again is probably, if if any book is his masterpiece. And I love Lord of Light, but there's also um, other great books that he did in that. That Creatures of Light and Darkness is another good one. Jack of Shadows, uh, Doorways in the Sand. Um, you know, those are all standalone books, but and his short stories. He was magnificent writing uh, writing short stories. Nice, Roger. I, I'm speaking of Roger familiarity because I I knew him. You know, he lived in Santa Fe before I did, and uh, was one of the few people when I moved to Santa Fe from the Midwest in 1979. Roger was like the only guy I knew in town, so uh, I knew Roger and his wife and his children, and uh, he was. It's a bit of a mentor to me, but certainly a good friend. And uh, we would go every every month on the first Friday uh, down to Albuquerque, where um, Tony Hillerman, another great writer, uh, who is the author of the the Jolie one books that I'm presently doing as Dark Winds, the yeah. TV series. Um, Tony had organized the first Friday writers group, in which all the writers in Albuquerque and Santa Fe and other parts of New Mexico got together for lunch on the first Friday of every month. And you know there were science fiction writers and fantasy writers, mystery writers, western writers, romance writers, nonfiction, thriller, you know, you name it. We all got together and ate lunch and talked, and writers really can talk. We'd get together for lunch and we'd still be there at dinner time at the Albuquerque Press Club. At least a few of us who didn't have real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall in those ones. That's crazy. Uh, Roger, it was great. It, nice. was, it was great. Yeah, but the, the general um, this general synopsis of Nine Princes or the Amber universe is that like there's there's one true universe where, where Amber, the city of Amber is, and every other universe, including ours, right. is just kind of a crappy knockoff. We're just kind of the shadow of Amber, which The shadows, yeah, yes. It's not great for my self esteem, but it's, it's, it's a clever concept. <laughs> unless you uh, have the blood of Amber. You unless know. you have the well yes, if you're royal family you usually get a lot of extra bonuses. So <laughs> And and the the royal family can manipulate shadows. Yes, they, they can, can walk through shadows yes. and create alternate worlds and things like that. Yes, and you travel through universes if you have this royal blood by sort of going through the universe, having a strong idea of your the universe you're trying to get to and just waiting until it matches and you're envisioning things that match, things that don't match. It's an incredibly clever concept because, I mean, he's traveling through these universes at first in what, in a Cadillac or like a Mercedes? Uh, I forget what exactly kind of car, but yes, uh, yeah. some kind of car. He's, it, he's walking through shadows or driving through shadows and then you go far enough and suddenly you're in a... A coach being pulled by six unicorns or something like that, and then suddenly they're dinosaurs. They're not unicorns, and uh, yeah, yep. uh, and it's, it's wonderful the walking through shadows thing. But yeah, but I mean, every every one of the nine princes has his own agenda and kind of wants to be in charge, as you would. I mean, this is the kind of storyline that I would, in other circumstances, describe as very Game of Thrones like. So a lot of Machiave Machiavellian plots going on. Yeah, o Oberon was the father of all these uh, kids, with a variety of different women. Um, so it's a family, and they're 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 brothers, but many of them are half brothers mm -hmm. uh, because they're all they're all the children of Oberon from who they get that. But Oberon has vanished, and he was the king of yes. Amber. He was the one that we, nobody knows where he is. So the nine sons are all competing for power and forming alliances yep. and betraying each other and all that. There are also uh, a number of sisters who are important, but. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, they're not reflected in the title. I, you know, the, the Amber series is uh, presently being developed for, for television uh, by Robert Kirkman, uh, of the, uh, who created uh, The Walking Dead uh, really? series, and Stephen Colbert, oh, uh, who is a huge Zelazny fan. And he's, he's recently joined Thing, and we came on, last time I was in New York on a show, we met afterwards and were talking about it. I said, you know, I'm, I always favor faithful adaptations. I don't, generally speaking, I don't like changes. If you're taking on a, a classic, you should reflect what, what the classic is, you yeah, know? Yeah, you respect um, the author's vision. Right. But I did say, you know, well, to Stephen, uh, I hope you do what Roger did and stick very close to it. But I think you're going to have to change the title to include the, the girls, too. Yeah. It can't just be nine princess in amber, and there's also a bunch of girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have to have, like, I what don't know what the final count would be, the 15, 15 siblings in amber. Yeah, I can work with that. <laughs> yeah. Or just like a subtitle, the, 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 the nine princess of amber and the, the princesses who actually do contribute quite a lot, thank you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh man, so... I mean, not to go into too much spoilers, I mean, I, I do tend to put a spoiler warning on these things. Uh, I give people a chance to read these books along with us before these episodes come out, but uh, the ending sort of escalates very quickly in that I, I, I thought it was gearing up towards one particular ending because this guy raises an army. He's been, you know, he's been usurped, the throne has been usurped by probably the nastiest of his brothers. Uh, right. he, he forms alliances, he, he raises an army of these, these shadow people from various other universes. He's been off on Earth for what, better part of a thousand years, training to be like the best swordsman who's okay. ever lived? Well, for a long while, because it, yeah. when, he, when the book begins, he has amnesia. Yes. He doesn't know, but he finds this tarot deck, and then when he's looking at these pictures, mm. it's not a classical tarot deck. It's, it's him and his family. Yeah. It, and and the, you can use that tarot deck to move through shadow, yes. but it also is a way to call out to you can speak whoever to your siblings you're, and stuff, you're yeah. talking to, and that triggers his memory and starts stuff. And there are efforts to kill him, and you know, Obviously. he has, when he looks at the pictures, he has, I thought I'd turn that off. Uh, I thought he had a, um, you know, he has, he has uh, brothers who he trusts and likes and forms mm -hmm. alliances with, and others who he would like to kill and who would like to kill him and uh, yeah. you know he sort of he sort of blind, he goes out on a limb to trust a few of them if that if he'd had his memory he probably wouldn't have done uh, right but, and as you get further in it there there are um, a lot of uh, twists yeah. and turns and it, people are not who they seem to be and uh, all of that stuff yeah I, I forget exactly when I mean I've read them so long ago and I've read all of them of course so I forget where the each book ends. Are you, are you, well, the, the, has he attacked Amber? And he does. Yes. Are? Well, that was that was the thing I didn't expect because he raises an army surprisingly easily. It's just like, do you have an army? It's like, no, I'm gonna go get one. And then like half a chapter later, it's like, yes, I have a hundred. I bought a hundred thousand people. And he gets like half a million soldiers of these various alternate universe humans. Right. And I was like, okay, this, I know how this story goes. He goes, he reclaims his throne, and then it's like, no, they die. They all die horribly. He does not get his throne back in the first book, at least. Like he, they. He's trying to work. His, he has to. You have to pass through multiple universes to get to right. Amber, and it turns out his brother can control the weather. So like they are, and they, like he gets attacked and stuff. So like I think literally every last one of his half a million army dies horribly. Has he already crossed paths with Julian in the first book? 
Julian, yes, I think. And the, the hunt, hunter, you know, when he's passing through the forest of Arden. Yes, he, yes, because this, this gentleman on horseback with his, his trumpet is, is hunting him in his Mercedes. Which, That's right, yeah. Very interesting mental image for that. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, so this first book, not, not great for the heroes. He gets his eyes burnt out. He spends like four years in a dungeon blinded. Well, it turns out he can grow his eyes back. That's nice for him. That's right. And then the book ends, and again, spoilers, sorry about this, guys, but like the book ends of he, he, he escapes... With the help of what appears to be like a, a strong allegory for Leonardo da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, sorry. Right. Uh, and then it's like, screw this, I'm going to go to Camelot and invent guns. <laughs> it's just like, you know, that is a good solution to not having an army. That so. it, it sort of works, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you have many more twists and turns coming up. But yeah, so that wasn't how I expected the book to end. But yeah, no, I, I got to say, like, I did not expect like the absolute decimation of the good guys to be how it goes. One of the things that was a hallmark of Roger's work was he, he had a huge interest in mythology, and he plays with it in many of his uh, many of his books in in different ways. Um, Lord of Light uh, is a it's a science fiction book, and they're on a, a distant alien world. Uh, Earthmen reach this alien world, but then they assumed the aspects of Indian Hin Hindu gods. Uh, and they recreated themselves uh, as as the uh, Hindu pantheon, Shiva and Krishna and, and uh, all of them. All except the hero who uh, didn't like this. And to bring it down, he becomes sort of the Buddha, uh, you know, to try to take down the, the pantheon. There's also uh -huh. a, one Christian on there who... Uh, he, I, I love that too. Uh, you know, there's references early on to uh, you know a, a dark adversary who who you know black. He wears black and his troops are black and it's all that old. It must be a dark lord. And then you find out at the end it's it's the Christian and the black is the priest's outfit that he oh, always wears. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so that's uh, clever too. And then he did after that he did uh, Creatures of Light and Darkness, which is. Uh, uh, somewhat similar, but um, about the Egyptian pantheon, you know, Horus and Set mm. and all of those people. Uh, but again, in a science fictional context, he, he was a very playful writer. Is it, is it kind of like the American Gods sort of setup, where it's like they're all in different settings? Or? Each one is different. They, they, okay. They're not, the early books, although they had a lot of myth in them, were not um, part of a series or anything like that. They were all standalones, which was more common in those days. Amber was the first out-and-out uh, -out series that he uh, that he wrote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's incredibly engaging. Like I said, I <clears throat> the 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 idea of because I mean it's it's difficult to explain because like it sounds almost silly when you say it out loud. Yeah, he drives a car through multiple universes, working right. his way towards home. But you know, it it really did make a lot of sense at the time. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's, it was an interesting guy. Like I'm not sure the the main character has a few moments where it's just like, yeah, you know, I actually do respect this brother. I think he'd do great on the throne. I think I'd prefer to be there. So yeah. I'm like, no, I appreciate his self-honesty there. Yeah. So. Well, as I say, there's, there's twists and revelations coming when you read the other four. The other four books in the Corwin series. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, playfulness in virtually all of his stories. The short stories were fantastic, too. He had one story uh, which won a, a, a Yugo Award. Um, that uh, I had a little hand in. You know, uh, there are a lot of, uh, especially in those days, uh, theme anthologies in science fiction, 
which were um, the editor would get an idea for a story. Okay, uh, we'll we'll write a anthology and it'll all be about uh, Bigfoot. And then he reaches out to, you know, 20 writers he knows and, hey, would you like to write a Bigfoot story? And some of them say yes, some of them say no, and you assemble your, your Bigfoot. They're not related to each other, but they're all about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And um, Roger and I, we were, we were spending time together, and every first Friday we would drive down together. We'd alternate who got to drive, drive down to Albuquerque Press Club for those first Friday meetings. And we would exchange information about anthologies that were looking for stories that one or the other of us had been invited in, but maybe the other one hadn't been. At that time, Roger had, had, uh, no, I had gotten an invitation from uh, my friend Gardner Dozois, I think, to uh, write something for a unicorn anthology, unicorns. Roger had gotten an invitation from, I think it was George Sithers, to write a, a... a, an original story for anthology of stories set in a bar. And both of us had been invited by our friend Fred Saberhagen, who was a, a good friend to both of ours, lives in Albuquerque. And uh, Fred was putting together an anthology of stories about uh, chess, um, which was right up my alley because I'd played chess and, and uh, all of that, and I'd wanted to do that anthology, but Fred beat me to the punch. So, you know, we're exchanging this information about that. And uh, I said, to Roger was driving, I think I was just riding shotgun at that time. I said, hey, uh, we could write a story about someone who plays chess with a unicorn in a bar and sell it to all three. <laughs> I was literally just and thinking, Roger, imagine if you combined those. Like a, a unicorn walks into a bar, sounds like the setup for a joke. Well, I made the joke and Roger chuckled in the uh, chuckly way he had. And then he went home and did it. <laughs> and not only did, did he take my joke and turn it into a great story called The Unicorn Variations, in which the protagonist plays chess with a unicorn in a bar, but he named the protagonist Martin. <laughs> and then the story got nominated for a Hugo Award and beat one of my stories <laughs> the, top, <laughs> the same year. <laughs> oh, shit, that's the last time you make a joke around that guy. That's right. <laughs> That's right, but it's a fun story. That is awesome. He did yeah. a lot of amazing, amazing stuff back then. So uh, this 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 TV adaptation sounds really exciting. Are you do you have any like any secret information there you can share about it, or is it still in pre-production? Oh, it's yeah, they're still putting it together. I mean, I it was six months ago when I was in New York and uh, discussed it with Stephen Colbert. Um, at that time, they were still looking for a writer. I don't know if they found a writer, but uh, presumably to develop the pilot and all of that stuff. But, well, I like that your advice to him is just stick to the books. Uh, yeah. yeah. But like, are you the kind of person who fan casts? Do you have anyone, like, does any like, current actor jump out at you for, for like, Corwin, for example? Oh, actors. Um, yeah. No, I, I can't really. Uh, Pedro Pascal's pretty hot right now, he's in everything. Well, yeah. He's great. Uh, he was, uh, of course, I worked with Pedro on uh, on Game of Thrones. He was Oberyn Martell. Oh, yeah. And now he's gigantic. Uh, so is Jason Momoa, who was also in Game of Thrones. They've, they've both become uh, kind of megastars. Yeah. Um, launched quite a few careers. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're very good. I don't know, Corwin, that's an uh, interesting, interesting question. Some of the brothers are redheads. Um, you know, they 
went over and got it on with a redheaded woman. So, so the redheads are particularly troublesome, as I recall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I was trying to remember because I was. I, he has so many relatives. He meet every every third person he meets is either a brother or sister of his. Right. So I was trying to remember if the woman he hooked up with was his sister or not, because he seemed to have a real thing. Because like when he when he met his first sister, he was like, "Wow, she's so beautiful," and I was like, "Is this going to go in a in the direction in like a?" I know you're direction. a big fan of him. So yeah, oh yeah, love it. In many of your things. favorite plots. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I mean, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, so I have to be. Well, that's right. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but I so I don't think the person he hooked up with in the first book was a relative of his, but it could go. With, there's still time. Yeah. <laughs> Keep reading. He's a royal. It's just kind of what they do. Rogers, um, of course, lived here in Santa Fe, and uh, he had. Uh, Three kids himself, uh, you know, Devin and Trent, uh, and a daughter, Shannon, and um, you know, a number of them have worked here in the uh, uh, my bookstore at various periods of time. And Trent, um, you know, got married and uh, had a son of his own named Corwin, who uh, also has worked here in uh, in Beasley Books. At, one time or other. Trent's a writer himself, though he, he doesn't write. His, his work seems much more influenced by Stephen King than by his uh, father. Um, he does, you know, the horror stuff and mm. horror mystery kind of stuff. And I, I think that's cool. He's, you know, it's hard when, you know, a son picks up what the father has done and. Mm. Uh, like um, Dune. You know, yeah, I was about I, to uh, reference that one. Yeah. <laughs> because those sequels are okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but Trent, uh, Trent's a very talented guy too. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you guys absolutely have to come and check out Beastly Books. You got a lot of like cool stuff because you do like events and stuff here. Because I, uh, uh, I, w I was being pitched on the idea you guys do like Saturday morning cartoons here where people turn up, you give them cereal. <laughs> they do writers' nights. If you're writing a book, you could come to Beastly Books, write write your book here on Wednesday nights. It's it's a really really cool setup. They've got a really great uh, uh, pride desk at the moment. Right. Lots of, lots of very cool things here. So yeah, absolutely check out Beastly Books. And it's right next to. A theater you own as well. Uh, yes, the Jean Cocteau Cinema, which uh, I bought uh, about 10 years ago. Um, Santa Fe's original art house, but it had been defunct for seven years when I purchased it and um, revived it in, in 2013. And one of the things I did, besides showing movies, we showed old movies and new movies, but we also had a number of live events, and one of them was uh, book signings. We'd bring in an author or get an author on tour, um, and he would do a reading, or I would interview him, or someone else would interview him, and then afterward he would sign his books. And uh, when you do that, you, you, you uh, usually order more books than you expect to sell. Uh, and then you have some leftover for people who couldn't be there on that particular night. So we rapidly, as we were doing them in 2013 and 2014 and 2015, we, we had signed books, uh, not only my books, but books by all of the authors who had done an event with us in the lobby of the of the cinema and but at a certain point it overwhelmed the space of the lobby in the cinema and we started filling up the basement with more books than we could uh, than we could handle and finally when this space next door opened up uh, I said let's open a, a bookstore as a companion bookstore to uh, to the Jean Cocteau cinema and we've moved it in here, and it, it's uh, one thing that distinguishes us from a lot of other bookstores is that 
you know, like 80% of the books on sale are autographed. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously not Roger's books because he, he uh, passed long before I had the bookstore or Tony Hellerman, but uh, we do have their books. And a lot of the books here are obviously all of my books, but also a lot of books by uh, authors who have come and, and done uh, a signing, um, a reading, something like that, and uh, have left some books behind. We have, uh, well, we don't have any left now, Neil Gaiman books, he, his books sell out very quickly, but he's been here a few times, and we have stuff by uh, Daniel Abraham, uh, who was half of J Jimmy Corey, we have the Jimmy Corey books too, The Expanse, and, uh, you know, Mystery Writers, uh, we've had Dennis Lehane here, we've had um, Lee Child here, uh, you know, and we do one or two signings a month, so. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and in next door, you also have the fleet of trains that you own. <laughs> uh, yeah, I only own, own a third of the trains. Third trains, yeah. <laughs> these, these are like you can ride around on these and drink margaritas all day, which is the coolest freaking idea I've ever heard. Yeah, so. I think margaritas are responsible for me having that investment. I was uh, <laughs> having margaritas with some friends of mine, and somehow the idea of buying a railroad uh, <laughs> became increasingly more attractive. Yeah, that's the same thing. How many margaritas we'd had. Yeah, usually that's the kind of thing that only happens in Monopoly. In, in George's <laughs> world, you just actually buy a railroad. So that's that's the whole thing. You guys even in Monopoly, out. you really have to have four of the <laughs> yeah. railroads before they're worth. So you have three. So one more, and you you go. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for, for, for joining me here on Reginald's podcast. And he's going to be really gutted he missed this one. Oh, okay. But, yes, I'm sorry about poor Reginald. Yeah, he bought it on himself. <laughs> he's, he's, he's an unreliable guy. I, I, so I hear. So I hear. Great. Awesome. See you guys.